0: be here with you today. Good to see you all here. We've got a few people away. Hopefully they're not, uh, they're not sick, but it's a privilege to be sharing God's Word with you again today. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, and we'll read from verse 8 to 11 this morning as we continue our look at uh, Philippians chapter 3 and, um, and Paul's message in that, uh, that passage there. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this time. We thank you for the, the blessing that we have of being able to come to your word and to rely upon every word within it. Father, we thank you that you've preserved it and by your grace we are here today. So, Father, we ask this morning that our hearts would once again be open to your truth, that we would be willing to listen, that we would be ready to hear what you would have for us. And we ask this morning that we would take away, Father, within our hearts, that seed that you seek to plant, that we might glorify you in our lives all the more. We thank you once again for the wonderful work of the cross. We thank you for our Saviour, and we thank you for this church. We ask all these things in his precious name. Amen. Who's read books on success? Who's, who's read books on being successful? Not many of us. No wonder why you're not successful. <laughs> being in business, when you're in business, they, they encourage you to read all these types of books about, about success and how to win and how to achieve and how to you know reach your goals in life. And you know, you, if you don't have a goal, they say you're not going to get anywhere. And yeah, half of those things are sort of true and, and not true at the same time. Um, and I remember reading a number of books while I was um, while I was sort of trying to develop myself and being able to manage business better and, and those sorts of things. Um, and it was interesting because every different author has a different view of success and what winning actually means. Um, every author um, has a different angle or a different perspective on, on the thing. And you've probably read a number of different things in your life where you know success is a successful person is someone who does the things that. Not successful, unsuccessful people don't do, if you understand what I'm saying. There's a whole heap of, of things along those lines that, that tell you if you do the things that, that lead to success, you will become a success. The problem is that success is different for every person in the world, um, and success means a whole range of different things. In this passage today, Paul is talking about success. Paul is talking about winning. So this morning, what we'd like to do is to see what God talks about, what God says about success, what it means to be successful, what it means to win, and how you win as a person. According to the Apostle Paul here, success was the transaction that took place when he chose Christ over the world. That was success for him. Because when that happened, his life completely changed and so did his destiny. He realised that the plan for eternal life that he thought was leading to success, the rules and regulations of the Old Testament laws and all those things that he had to follow, all the ceremonies and all the traditions that he thought led to success, realised wasn't leading him to success. And when he looked at all those things, when he looked at all the, all the, the laws that he was following, and he compared them to Christ, he realized those things were utterly useless. He properly understood that when he put his faith in Christ, he could no longer rely on those rules and regulations that he relied on before to bring him success now. This was a whole new board game, this is a whole different way of seeing the world and the eternal life. Which is the reason that he warned the the people in Philippi as well. Last week we looked at the warnings that he gave to the Philippians. Remember the the, the first one he starts off with joy and the joy that we have and rejoicing in the Lord. The very second uh, section to the um, to this particular passage, Paul then switches from rejoicing in, in the Lord to watch out, be careful, because there are people around who. Are trying to drag you back into the rudimentary principles of the world. Where he says, taste not, touch not, do not, observe days and feasts and all these different types of traditions. He says, those things don't bring you to God. Those things don't actually save a person. They don't, those things don't make a person more acceptable to God in the end. And he understood that there were Christians who, or people who called themselves Christians who even though they had proclaimed the name of Christ, they, they, they took that name upon themselves, were still stuck in the Old Testament laws. And they were trying to drag everyone else back in that direction as well. So Paul, Paul rightfully refutes that, and he warns them and says, be careful of these people. And then we come to verse 8, and it says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and you count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Now, dung is a pretty strong word. He counts them but rubbish, useless. Dung has its purposes. It's useful in certain, certain areas, the fertilising ground and those sorts of things. But you don't use dung for a lot of things. It's not useful, for example, to, to paint a wall with. This verse, he counts all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, that I may win Christ, is the most important thing that can ever happen to a person. It's the most important transaction that can ever happen to a person in their whole life. It's called the divine exchange and it's losing the world, it's losing your old self to win Christ. Paul wasn't trying to win Christ, he already won Christ. And he's telling us he, he gave up all that stuff, he let it all go in order to win Jesus Christ because he realised that through Christ he would be a winner and there was no loss in it. The divine exchange means that I give everything I am for everything he is. And God does a swap. He takes all my mess, all my bad stuff, all my sin and all my, all my failure in life. And then he takes his son and all the wonderful stuff that he is. All the, all the love and the grace and all the, all the patience and all the beautiful things that he had done in his life all here on this earth. And what he does, he exchanges those things. He takes all my rubbish and he gives me all his good. That's what it means to put your faith in Christ and to receive the righteousness which comes from him by faith. Not righteousness which I have done, but righteousness which he has given me because of what he's done and because of who he is. This is an extraordinary exchange, a swap. That's a not, a bad, not a bad deal, is it? Imagine if you could go to a car yard, you bring your old rusty bomb with you, and you drive it into the actual the car yard, and there's a deal going that if you bring in your old rusty bomb, they'll give you a brand spanking new car. That's a good deal, isn't it? Is there anyone, is it? There, oh, there's someone saying no, because they love their bomb. Is there, is there anyone who probably who wouldn't, if your car was falling apart and you were having problems with it and it was unsafe and it didn't have airbags and all those sorts of things, who wouldn't do that if they offered it to you? Well, this transaction was much better than that. This transaction that God offers, and he, and he actually opened that door through the cross, it's so much more than changing a car. We wouldn't we wouldn't blink an eye to jump for a new car, to take that transaction. But why do people not accept the transaction that God offers through His Son? Because that's that's rejecting that type of offer is such a ludicrous idea. When people <coughs> continually try to work their own way to heaven, because they try they try to actually. Do good things and not do bad things, and and they try to earn merit with God, thinking that you know, when, one day when they stand before His throne, that they'll be able to present in front of God. Look at God. Look at all the things that I've done, and look at all the things I didn't do. I, I, I didn't I didn't kill anyone. If you ask the average person out there, they'll, you say, "Have you kept the Ten Commandments?" Yeah, I haven't, I haven't killed anyone. If you dig a little bit deeper into the Ten Commandments, you'll find that most people have broken almost all of them. Whether they killed someone or not. There's a divine exchange that took place. But it means that when you come to God, you come without baggage. You leave it. And you, you come to him as you are. And God somehow takes away all the rubbish. And he, he lifts us up from, the, from where we were, destined for hell followers of Satan, enemies of God. And he brings us to a place where he adopts us as his children. He makes us his family. He gives us a whole new identity. And that transaction happens in a moment. And the Bible says that when that happens, the angels in heaven rejoice. And it's something we, we never earned, we never deserved And we can never try to earn during our lives either. We can never, after that, after you accept that transaction, you can never try to make yourself worthy in retrospect. Losing all to win. Jesus gives us this winning formula in Matthew chapter 10. Turn with me there. I want to share a little bit more about this from the Lord's perspective. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. Now listen carefully. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. This is what that transaction is about, you see. That I'm willing to lose my life. That I'm willing, not not necessarily die in a physical way, but I'm willing to, to lose my old identity and exchange it for his. Because in losing myself, I find him. And when I find him, I find eternal life. And it's something that no one can take away. Jesus declares that loving him should be the first priority in a person's life. Far above every other love that we have in our lives. And that's what it means where the Apostle Paul says he counts everything but done in comparison to that. In comparison to his knowing Christ personally, everything else fades into insignificance. But Paul is not teaching something here. Paul is not teaching that you should regard everything in this world as rubbish. He's not. He's not, te- he's not trying to teach some sort of ascetic lifestyle where everything is has no value to you and everything is like you live like a hermit in a cave. He's not trying to teach that. That would mean that the relationship that you build with your children, with your family, with your parents is garbage. It means that When your wife prepares a beautiful meal and spends the whole day cooking for you, you sit down in front, you sit down at the table and you say, this this, this meal is rubbish compared to my relationship with Christ. You may see Christ a lot sooner than you thought. I'm a bit cheeky. but He's not saying that. He's not saying that there's, there's, that there's nothing of value in this world, because there is. There are plenty of things to put value on. But Paul, Paul is basically saying that when we compare the efforts, the effort that we put to try to get into heaven, when we look at what the world does to try to make themselves acceptable to God and to other people, all those efforts really amount to nothing. They don't amount to anything. Because in the end, all that effort is wasted. And it's sad. It's sad. I, I, my heart breaks when I see people who are religious putting a huge amount of effort into their faith. And they're trying and they're, and they're, 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 they're working with all of, their, all, of their, all of their energy to try to achieve something. And they put in this effort and they, they, they follow all these religious observances and, and they do all these things and they think that if by doing these things, by, by even Christ, people who call themselves Christians, I'll go to church and they'll... I'll go to Wednesday nights and they'll pray and they'll read the Bible, thinking in themselves that by doing these things, God finds them more acceptable. It's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, it's the exact opposite. This is not a religion that we are in, my friends. This is not a religion. This is a relationship that God has called us to. And that relationship then dictates what you do. Imagine if you... You're married to your wife, uh, husbands, and uh, it was your custom or your tradition or your religious observance that you would speak to your wife for five minutes a day, at least. And you did it out of obligation. How would your wife feel about your your allotted time to your wife? You say, look, I've I've allotted, you know, let's say half an hour. Let's say an hour. I have allotted one hour a day for you. How would your wife feel that you made that an observance? You made that an obligation? Does it make you feel good, you think? No. Then why do we do it for God? God doesn't call us to a religion, God calls us to a relationship. You talk to someone because you want to talk to them, you do good things for people around you, because you love them. And this is what God calls us to. This is what that, tr- that divine transaction is all about, you see. So God, Paul isn't saying that everything in our lives is rubbish, because it's, it's it's not true. There is good things in our lives. The problem is when you use those good things for the wrong purpose. Paul even says that to be a Jew... And to be circumcised is actually a good thing, believe it or not. And it would seem to maybe contradict this passage, but it actually doesn't. In Romans chapter 3, verse 1, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it for you. Romans chapter 3, verse 1, it says, What advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? And his answer to that is, much every way. Much every way. And the reason he comes to that conclusion, he says, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. It wasn't in those things that there was, that it was good and that there was, there was um, uh, advantage, but the fact that the, the Jews were given the oracles of God, and their job was to actually proclaim that truth to the world. They were given something of great value, the words of God himself. The point Paul is trying to make is that if you're going to put your trust in your religious efforts, or your relationships, or your worldly success to provide you with the merit before the living God, then you're putting your trust in the wrong things. And these will inevitably prove themselves to be worthless done in gaining eternal life and gaining life now. Let me give you an example. You decide to build a home. You're wealthy, but you decide to... You decide to build your own home, and you think it's going to be a nice, nice project to do. You drive a Ferrari. You're a very, you're a very wealthy person. At one stage, you you get to the point where you have to bring bricks from the actual, uh, the place where they manufacture them to the building's building site. So you think to yourself, oh, I can use my Ferrari. It's reliable. It's pretty fast. After your 15th trip up and back from the actual thing, because you can only put about 20 bricks in it at a time, you realise, hmm, something wrong. And you realise the Ferrari wasn't made to bring bricks. Do you get it? The Ferrari has value in and of itself as a sports car. But as as a, a vehicle to move bricks, useless. Do you get the point about religion? You can try all your life to follow rules and regulations and and try to please God with the things that you do, but in the end, it's like dry, it's like carrying bricks with a with a Ferrari. It wasn't made for that purpose. The Bible tells us very clearly that God gave us the law to do what? Do you know? To show us how sinful we actually are. That the purpose of the law, the Bible says, was as a schoolmaster. And that schoolmaster was to bring us and to show us Christ. And that we had this great need that we couldn't sort out ourselves. So the Bible says that when you look at the law, it should convict you that you are a sinner. And if it doesn't convict you you're a sinner, there's something wrong. You're not looking at it properly. It's meant to drive us to Christ. To bring us to the cross to realise that there is something completely deficient within me and that deficiency can't be rectified by my efforts. It's only what he's done. And when I put my trust in what he's done, all of a sudden my whole eternity changes. And so relying on following the laws or religious duties to earn your way to heaven is a waste of time. They're useless for that purpose, and the only thing that really matters is trusting in Jesus Christ to save you. Paul does not consider being Jewish or obeying the law as something evil. I mean, surely, if that, where it says, thou shalt not kill, if you don't kill, is that a bad thing? Of course it's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. But in trying to follow those laws in order to gain merit with God, that's the, that's the waste of the effort. According to Paul, he made a conscious choice to win Christ and lose the rest. He won Christ when he made that decision and the rest of his life was a continuation of that decision, of that choice that he made. from that point on, he was an eternal winner. He was a success. success. Look at verse 9. It says, and be found in him. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. That's exactly what I've been talking about. That there's a faith and there's a, there's a faith that opens the door to righteousness that comes directly from God. It opens a floodgate. Paul has already received in this particular passage, he's received that righteousness. He is already found in Christ. He's already in him. And here he emphasizes the gospel that righteousness does not come by human effort, it comes by faith in Christ. And that alone. Anything added to that muddies the water. A person is either in this world in Christ or out. There is nothing in between. There is no working your way there. There is no there is nothing in between. And people sometimes get a little bit uh, mixed up with that. I remember a man once telling me that once that um, Christianity is is a journey to Christ, journey to Christ. Well, maybe from a from a physical point of view, maybe one day we're going to see him face to face. But he wasn't saying that. What well, he was saying that by his efforts he was working his way to to, to Jesus. Whereas I would probably look at it a little bit differently. That the Christian faith is a journey with Christ. And he's with me all the way. And from the time I start that, that journey with him, he never leaves me nor forsakes me. He carries me through all the way to the end and he guarantees my destiny like no one else can. So a person is either in Christ or out of Christ. If the rain started falling and you were outside of Noah's ark, you were lost. But if you were in the ark when the rain started falling, when that judgment started coming down and when the gushes and the fountains of the deep started to burst forth, if you were in the ark, you were safe. And that's exactly what it's like with people who were either saved or not saved. At this point in time, every one of us in this room are either inside that ark of Christ or outside. There is nothing in between. You are either waiting outside the ark to make a decision, if you're hearing this message today, or you're already in the ark rejoicing. And once you're in the ark, you're not getting out of the ark. You're safe in the ark. Because God then closes that door and when the, when the judgment starts falling down, if you're outside the ark, if you're outside of Christ, there is no salvation. You can tread water as much as you like. Eventually you will drown. And by your effort, you will lose. The call today, the question today is, are you in Christ? If you are, then praise God. If you're not, or if you're not sure today, then make sure. Because there is no guarantee you will make tomorrow. There is no guarantee you will leave this room today alive. You don't know. The Bible tells, says that our lives are but a, a vapour, a puff of smoke that's here one day and gone the next. Now, we often pray for our Ill, people with illnesses and sicknesses, but you know something? The Bible never said that that we would not die of illnesses. Our lives are always going to be a puff of smoke. The only lives that aren't going to be a puff of smoke is when we're given our new lives, and they're eternal ones. So it is today. Look at verse 10. Paul says, The purpose of, of him believing in Christ, putting his faith in him, is that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, to know him. You know that knowing is not just about um, mental knowledge because you can know about any historical figure in the past. You can know a lot about them. You know about Abraham Lincoln. You can know about Nero. You can know about all these different types of people and do a whole lot of study about them, but you may never come to the point, and never will, with these other people, of knowing them on a personal level. This knowledge is about being acquainted with someone. This knowledge is about a personal type of knowledge. And one of the most significant differences between the Christian faith and other faiths is the ability to know God on a personal level. To know Him personally. And God invites us to this relationship Our lives are built upon relationships, aren't they? How do you define yourself? Take away your family, your friends, your work colleagues. What's left of you? Who are you when you take yourself out of of those relationships? You see, we define ourselves in most cases by the relationships that we have. You choose your friends. The ones you hang around with the most tell or says a lot about who you are as a person, doesn't it? You can't choose your family, but the way you deal with your family tells you a lot about you as a person as well. Our lives are built upon relationships and define us as people. So it is in the spiritual world as well. We serve a God who is a personal God, a God who has characteristics. He has He has has a personality like, like each one of us. He has a character. And he's revealed his personality and character in the Bible and through history. So the way he's dealt with us from the beginning until now is his character. Shows us what type of character God actually has. And it's recorded for us in the Bible. But the way God shows us Most clearly, his character is through his son. You can know a lot about God by looking at the way he saved the Israelites from Egypt, by the way he dealt with Abraham, by the way he he dealt with all the, the Old Testament prophets. But you can know a lot more about God and the way he is when you study the life of his son. There is nowhere he reveals his character more than through the life of his son, Jesus Christ. When he came into this world and he lived our life. When he walked among us. it's easy. it's easy for me to say what type of a person I am. I'm a funny guy. I'm considerate. I'm patient with people. I'm a... But you know something, and each of each of us would have an opinion about ourselves, wouldn't we? About our own characteristics and our own flaws and our own. but you know something, the the true test of what you are as a person is when you're tested in the crucible of affliction. When you're actually tested when things get tough. When things don't go right. That's when you're really tested as a person and your your character comes out, doesn't it? Because it's fine and dandy when everything's going smooth and everything's going fine to say, I'm this type of person, but then when things start to fall apart, all of a sudden your whole world falls apart and you become a different person. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? It's easy to live in a family when there's no pressures. But when you start cranking up the financial pressure, the way you deal with your, your family members reveals a lot about who you are and where you're at when things start going wrong. So it is with God. We learnt a lot about God through the Old Testament and the way he dealt with us. But it wasn't until he came on his own to this world and he lived this life that we live. But with much more affliction, with much more suffering, did we actually discover what type of character he is. Because God never suffered. God never went through pain. God never was rejected of men. He was never, he was never in a, a vulnerable position. But when God actually came into this world as a lamb, and he, and he put himself at the mercy of men, we realised what God was really like, didn't we? Because he went all the way to a cross for me. The one who didn't deserve it. And he willingly gave up his life. The Bible says that he was despised, he was rejected of men, a man of sorrows. He was a man of sorrows because he lived this world. He lived this life in this world and he lived a holy life. It's easy to say what type of person you are, but Jesus revealed exactly what type of person he was by the way he lived. Turn to John chapter 14 with me. chapter 14 verse 6 Jesus saith unto him I am the way the truth and the life no man cometh unto the father but by me if he had known me ye should have known my father also and from henceforth ye you know him and have seen him Philip saith unto him Lord show us the father and it sufficeth us Jesus saith unto him have I been so long time with you And yet, hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then? Show us the Father. You see, when when Jesus came into this world, God the Father, God revealed his character to us. When you were looking at Jesus, when you were talking with Jesus, you were talking to God himself. And Jesus says to thomas how do you why are you asking me show us the father you're looking at him you're looking at the character of god when you talk to me and that's why we can put our trust in jesus completely because he revealed exactly how loving and gentle and patient and merciful and kind this god that we serve is he revealed exactly what he was like and you know something that's the god i want to serve that's exactly the God I want to serve. That's the God I can lay down my life for. Because that's the type of God who gave his life for me. He revealed how much he actually loves us, but he also revealed how much he actually understands us too. He revealed very clearly how much he knows what I'm going through. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Turn with me there. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power over death, that is the devil. So God himself took on flesh and blood just as we were, went through the death experience and then overcame death for us. That's why Christians throughout the ages have gone to their deaths happily. Have gone to their deaths singing. Because they know and trust that their Saviour has conquered death. And even though they have to experience it as well, that on the other side, they will see Him. They're with Him. And that there isn't, this isn't the end of the road. This is the beginning. This is the open door that we've been called to go through. He's been through it and He's conquered it. And he now holds those keys. And if you go down to verse 18, it says, For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Jesus understands us not just from the the fear that we have of death, and he was able to overcome that. So we we need no longer fear death. But he's also able to understand us when we go through temptations and trials and, and bad things in our lives. Because he went through it already. I've mentioned this before in my sermons, but I want you to understand something. Jesus lived the perfect life on earth. We all believe that, don't we? The only man in history to live the absolute perfect life. He never made one sin from the time that he was born to the time that he died on that cross. True? But it wasn't... Wasn't the devil didn't the devil know that he had to be perfect? What do you think the devil was trying to do those 30 years, 33 years? Don't you think he was trying to get into sin? Don't you think that all of his efforts, that all of his all of his resources would have been focused on the Lord during that time? All of his efforts aren't focused on me. But I know they were focused on the Lord. I know they were focused on Christ. Yet, despite the barrage of attacks of the devil, Jesus conquered all those temptations. He conquered every one of them. He did not succumb to one. So he understands when we go through trials, when we go through temptation in our lives, he understands what we're going through. Because he was attacked much more than we were. When you go through difficult times in your life of suffering, when you're, when you're going through turmoil in your life, understand that he went through it already before you and he understands exactly what you're going through. He calls us into a relationship that is so profound that we struggle to even understand and comprehend it. Let me ask you a question. We spend our lives building relationships around us. We build relationships with our, our friends, our families, our husbands, wives, children or whatever. And one of, the, one of the, the biggest hurdles we have in our relationships is getting other people to appreciate what I'm going through, isn't it? ever struggled with that? Have you ever struggled with getting the other person to understand the pain that you're feeling inside here? How do I express it? How many ways do I have to say what I'm going through? They're not getting it. Ever struggled with that? That the other person doesn't understand what you're going through? We spend most of our lives trying to get other people to understand what's going on in here and in here. We say it with words. We express it with body language. We we say it in so many different ways. And we struggle with that. And when we're going through our, our, our deepest, darkest times in our lives, that's the times when we feel so alone. Because the other, other people around us, we feel, don't understand, can't empathise with us. They might say it verbally, but we know deep down they're not going through the same thing as us. They don't really understand. And you wish. I've, I've often wished in my life that I could convey the feeling that I'm feeling in here straight to someone else and make them feel what I'm feeling in here, then they'd really understand what I'm talking about, wouldn't they? Haven't you ever felt that? Ever thought that? It has got to be a way of being able to, to get the other person to fully understand. If they only understood what's going on in my brain, or what's going on in my heart, then they'll really appreciate what I'm going through, or understand my, my side of the story. And with our rudimentary ability to express our feelings, and limited ability to empathise with each other. You see, we fail when we think other people have failed us, we continue to fail other people as well. We don't fully appreciate what everyone else around us is going through, do we? Because sometimes we are so trapped in our own little world that we don't that we that we, we it's impossible for us to see and empathize what the other person's going through. But not so with the Lord. This is the amazing thing about having a relationship with God is that you don't have to put a lot of effort into into explaining what you're going through to Him. He understands what I'm going through better than I understand myself. He feels what I feel. He understands what I want Him to understand. The Bible even says that when I pray and I struggle to find the words, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit within me groans within me the words that that I can't speak, that I can't express, and He speaks those things to God. God. That's extraordinary, isn't it? He says exactly what I'm feeling inside, what I want to say, but I struggle with the words. So it doesn't matter about the words with God. God understands everything that I'm feeling, everything that I want Him to know. And sometimes we feel as if, you know, when we pray, we have to say all the eloquent words, and we have to make sure we line up everything properly. And You know, have you ever listened to other people pray, and you think, wow, that person prays so beautifully. I wish I could pray like them. Huh? The reason we're not the Catholic church, the reason we're not a church, the reason I'm not a priest and I'm not wearing a thing over here, okay, is because God has called us into a relationship and you can. Talk, every one of us can talk directly with God. We don't need to go through someone else to do the praying for us. Because God, he's not so concerned about the eloquence of your words. He's concerned about you just opening up your heart to him. That's what he wants. He wants you to just to, to let him know what you're going through. And it's not necessarily that he needs to know that. He doesn't, because he already knows. You know who that helps? Me. Because when, when I can pour out my heart to God, when you read some of the Psalms of David and some of the things he went through and some of the words that he said, you know, he did that for our benefit in, in, in a sense as well. That God allowed David to write those words and, and the turmoil he was going through. But understand this. God doesn't need to understand or listen to every word that you say. He knows what you're going for already. But you need to say it. Do you think that when we pray up here, and we pray for people that are sick or whatever, God doesn't already know what we've, what we, what there's a need for? He knows it already. But he still asks us to pray, for his benefit? No, for my benefit, for our benefit. Because when we pray, when we've, when we've taken these things off our shoulders and given it to him. And we say, God, this is yours. I can't handle it. But I know you can. When we see him working through our prayers, what happens to your faith? It grows stronger. You get more confident. You're able to overcome more things. The beautiful thing about a relationship with God is that it, it is deeper. It's more profound. It's more trustworthy. It's... It's so much more than the relationships we have around us. That's why Jesus says, if you love father or mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. Because that's the one, that's the relationship that should, that should eclipse every other relationship that we have. In fact, it energises every other relationship we have. The danger for us is that we might take our eyes off the Lord and put them on, on our own efforts. Now the flesh has a way of actually dragging us away from, from Christ. Uh, we, drag, we are a, a schizophrenic uh, people. Uh, we are. In, in, a, in a spiritual sense, we are schizophrenic. Because when God gave us a new personality, when God gave us a new nature, the Bible says he planted something within us that will never die, and that's who we really are. That's our new nature. But the Bible says we've still got this old man floating around that kicks and screams and doesn't want to go, doesn't want to die. And so we have this internal conflict within us where the flesh wants something, and, but, but I know, according to God, that I should be doing something else. So there's a conflict that happens. And the flesh would seek to always drag us back into the world. And not just back into the world, into the sin of the world, but to, to back into doing things that, that satisfy it. That's why people... Get dragged back into religion again, because religion is doing things that you you feel are earning you merit toward God. Huh? That boosts up my flesh. That makes me feel more important. Huh? Surely there's something that I can do towards in this whole in this whole salvation deal. Surely there's something that. Surely God, if you know, if I if I do this for you and that for you and and, and all these other things for you, surely you're going to look at those things and you're going to say, "Wow, that's fantastic!" Yeah, yeah. More bonus points for you. doesn't work that way. The flesh would always have us drag back ourselves back into sin or drag us to a place where we feel we're earning our way to heaven again. And it's so subtle. And we need to be very, very careful of that. It would, it would cause us to take our eyes off the precious prize of knowing Christ and growing our relationship with him and putting value back in the things of the world. Our relationship with Christ is the most precious thing we possess. Nothing compares to it, both in value and in beauty. It is no comparison in this world. Therefore, it is the one thing above all else that we should put all our effort into. Because it is the one thing that affects every other relationship that we have. Every relationship that we have in our lives has a starting point, doesn't it? There was a first time you met your beloved who you ended up marrying. You were born into a particular family and the relationship between you and your parents started off when you were born. Maybe started even earlier. I think people talk to their babies as well. They're still inside, don't they? Every relationship has a starting point. And some relationships have have a particular foundation. For example, if you're born into a family, you you automatically have a relationship without choosing it, correct? When God chose us, when God opened the door and we walked through by faith, all of a sudden there's a new relationship that has occurred. There is a completely new dynamic. We become family with God. what we then invest in that relationship will determine what the outcome will be in the end. Either way, whether you're a good family member or a bad family member. You know, there are some family members that are just difficult to get along with, right? You know, there are, there are you, we have been brought into God's family and you will always stay in God's family. Once you're in, you will never be removed from God's family. The question is how you behave then as a family member that's what God wants us to do and you behave based on the love that you have for him that's what he calls us to the relationship we have with Christ should be the most precious thing that we possess in Matthew chapter 13 verse 44 it says 45 it says again the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls who when he, f- he had found one pearl of great price went and sold all that he had and bought it That's what that relationship with Christ should be like. There is nothing else that should compare to it. Everything else is secondary to that thing we have with him. Paul then says he wants to know the power of his resurrection. I spoke a bit about this at Easter. That the most obvious display of God's power came when he actually raised his son up from the dead. That was the greatest display of God's power ever. And Paul wants to experience more of that power in his life. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 with me. Paul wanted the Ephesians to know, in verse 19, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. Verse 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. That's the desire of that Paul wanted. Paul wanted to experience more of that power in his life. That's the power, the same power, that causes a person to be born again. When you're born again and somehow God changes your world completely and your eternity completely, that's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Because we were dead according according to our sins before we came to Christ. And when we came to Christ, all of a sudden, God made us alive. We were dead in trespass and sins. And at that point, God made us alive. And the Bible says we were born again. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says, And now unto him... That is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. It doesn't just finish when we're born again. The Bible says that that power continues to work in our lives as we go on. Every day of our lives we rely and need the grace of God to get us through. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in our mortal bodies, in our lives now, keeping us within his grace keeping us saved, keeping us moving in the right direction. Paul then says he wants to know the fellowship of his sufferings. We're reminded about what he went through for us and that we have been called to join him in his sufferings. As followers of Christ, the Lord promised us that there would be trial and tribulation in our lives if we follow him faithfully. Nothing brings people together than when they go through difficult times together. Ever been through difficult times together and you support each other? Through those times, you come out stronger in your relationship in the end. And Paul wants the same thing in his relationship with Christ. Paul wanted in every way to get closer to his Lord and he knew that by being faithful to him, he would go through trials He would go through tribulations and he wanted to use those particular things to actually bring him closer to his Saviour. Turn to John chapter 12 with me. If someone were to go through a lot of pain and effort for you in their life, would it draw you closer to them or not? It would draw you closer. Well, this is what verse 32 and 33 tell us in John chapter 12. It says here, "And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me." This he said, signifying what death he should die. Jesus says that the cross. When people see that Christ is crucified for them, that he went through those sufferings for me as a person, it will draw me closer to him because I appreciate what he's done for me. That's the beginning of this relationship. Paul understood the suffering that Christ went through for him and he was drawn to Christ. As we all were drawn. And as we we continually remind ourselves when we celebrate communion... When we sing these hymns that we sing, when we pray, we continually remind ourselves of the great sacrifice that was made for us. Paul wanted all he could of Christ. And if that included participating in his sufferings, that's certainly what he wanted to be included in. Turn to Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Philippians 2, verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." Paul looked at his Saviour and wanted to be exactly like he was. Jesus left the glories of heaven, came to this earth, went through suffering all the way to the cross for us. He humbled himself that he might serve and save us. And Paul wanted to have the same attitude in his life. Paul wanted to, to, all the stuff that he achieved, you know, all the earthly accomplishments that Paul had. The Bible says that he, he trained under the best teachers. The Bible says that he belonged to the best sects. The, the Bible says that he was, he was a member of, a, of the Benjam, tribe of Benjamin. He, was, he had a lot to be proud of. But in the end, he was willing to give all that up. He was willing to let all that go, humble himself and serve. He wanted to be exactly like his saviour. Paul didn't care about his upbringing, his nationality, his education, his knowledge, his affiliations, his achievements and his rights. He willingly forsook all of these in order to enter into a precious relationship with his saviour. And he wanted to nurture that relationship as much as possible. Sometimes we confuse going through suffering and tribulation with the pain and suffering everyone else goes through. This is not talking about that sort of pain and suffering. This is not talking about, you know, when you get sick or when your car breaks down the freeway or when you get frustrated with whatever. It's not talking about the sort of suffering. The sort of suffering this thing is talking about is when you decide to live for Christ and you receive trial and tribulation as a result of being faithful. Jesus promised it. Jesus promised that if you live godly in this world, you will be persecuted. Where are we at with that? Sometimes our obedience to him may cause us to be ostracised, rejected, ridiculed. In some parts of the world, as we've heard this morning, people are tortured and killed for saying they follow Christ. In either case, Paul used every opportunity he had, every time he he was stoned to death and he didn't die, every time he was shipwrecked every time he was beaten, every time he was rejected, every time he was thrown out of, out of a city, every time he was backstabbed by the people who were supposed to be supporting him, he looked at all those things and he said, I'm going to use every one of these as an opportunity to get closer to my Lord because he went through the same thing. And every time he, he went through those things, he looked at those as a privilege that he would suffer for his saviour. Hudson Taylor once said, Do we know much of the fellowship with him in this? There are not two Christs, an easygoing Christ for easygoing Christians and a suffering, toiling Christ for exceptional believers. There is only one Christ. Are we willing to abide in him and so to bear fruit? There's not two Christs. The Bible calls us into a life of suffering. And it even says here, being made conformable unto His death, being willing to die. When we are called, when we are called to follow Christ, when we are called to give all the, all the sin that we have to Him, so that He He could bear it on His shoulders on the cross, when He could take all my bad stuff. The, the Bible calls us to literally die, to die to our old selves, so God can give us new selves. That's what being born again is all about. Let me ask you this morning. Where are you at with this? What's your definition of success today? Are we chasing after the things of the world? Do you follow after a religion? Or are you chasing after Christ? Is, have you made that transaction in your life where you've repented of your sin, you've put your faith in Christ... And now you trust him to bring you home to heaven. Do you have that this morning? If you don't, please don't leave this place without making sure that's happened. And if you have a relationship with Christ, let me ask you this morning, where is your relationship? Have you neglected that relationship? Or is that the most important relationship in your life? Only you know the answer to that. You know your heart. God knows your heart as well, so there's no point trying to hide things from him. He knows us better than we know ourselves. But this morning, if you are not sure, or if you would like to get closer to Christ and you don't know how, if you look back at your life and you say, I really haven't lived the sort of life I was supposed to, I don't have, there's something missing in this relationship with Jesus, then come and speak to us. He wants to have an intimate relationship with you today. The only one who will hold you back from that, from having that relationship, is you. Don't waste another day. Turn to him today. Find out who he is. Put your faith in him because he's completely trustworthy. But thank you for this time. And I just want you to to consider today what you deem a success. What are the things you're chasing after? God bless you. Thank you.